You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. Unusual details are coming to light about a significant drug bust made by North Vancouver RCMP. The drugs were discovered in a warehouse, but the twist is how officers were tipped off to the location. Our Kristen Robinson joins us live with more on how it all unfolded. Kristen. Sophie, it appears someone came up with an unusual and innovative way to get an alleged drug lab busted on Halloween, leading to four arrests and a stash of drugs seized. Now, on the afternoon of October 31st, RCMP received a report of a man kidnapped at gunpoint and being held at a warehouse in the 1500 block of Richmond Street in North Vancouver. Officers rushed to secure the building and arrested four individuals as they left in two separate vehicles. Several search warrants were executed. Drugs, including kilos of dried cannabis and raw mushrooms, were seized along with cash. RCMP alleged the warehouse was a drug trafficking lab where drugs were stored, prepared and packaged to be shipped and sold on the streets. No victims were found and police believe someone who knew of the alleged illegal activity going on inside came up with a ruse to get the place busted. Our investigation to date has yielded absolutely nothing suggesting a kidnapping actually occurred. Police believe the kidnapping allegations to be a false flag intended to target the drug trafficking warehouse. All right, Kristen, what are you learning about the charges? Sophie, RCMP say no charges have been laid yet. Their investigation is still ongoing. Two Surrey men could be facing charges of possession for the purpose of trafficking. The two others arrested could also face potential charges, but RCMP say their investigation will take months. It'll take months and hundreds of hours to get through all of the evidence and process it. I can imagine. All right, thanks for that. Kristen Robinson reporting in North Vancouver. And Mission RCMP say they've kept millions of doses of deadly fentanyl off the streets after raiding a clandestine drug lab on a rural property there. And again, as Jennifer Palmer reports, the raid only happened after someone went to great lengths to tip off police. A quiet rural road in Mission is the site of a large drug lab bust with the potential to put out millions of fentanyl doses. A lab neighbors didn't know about until just before 4 a.m. on October 27th. Gunshots going off with like more than one gun. It happened in the 12700 block of Stave Lake Road. The neighbor we spoke with says he fears for his family's safety and wanted to remain anonymous as he told us what happened. As I approach the end of my driveway, a van pulls up in front of me and multiple occupants flash me in the face with their flashlights and yell to get back in my yard, it's not safe. Police don't know who did this, but to make sure they found the place, fentanyl was spray painted on the roadway. As well, a tire was lit on fire and shell casings were found littered throughout this area. We believe there was people with direct knowledge of what was going on at the property, whether or not it was a group in competition or somebody else that was aware of what was going on at the property and, and took issue with the poison that was being made there. Police say they didn't find anybody injured. Instead, they found what they call a sophisticated, well-funded setup, including a large-scale operating fentanyl lab inside a storage building and several shipping containers. About 25 kilograms of pure fentanyl was seized, along with around three kilos of fentanyl ready for the streets. Police estimate the seizure is equal to more than two and a half million street doses of fentanyl. I don't know if you could get much more toxic than the stuff they were making here. This isn't going to 
end the fentanyl crisis, of course. However, at the same time, um, the financial impact on those that, uh, that were running this lab is going to be significant. thought we were going to have a quiet country life, and then that happened, so it's pretty upsetting. We have a three-year-old daughter, a 13-year-old daughter. You know, guns are shooting off in front of our yard. It's not cool. You were scared, I'm sure. No, I was angry. Very angry. Police are looking for suspects. No charges have been laid. This is the first time the property had been flagged to police, but they believe there are ties to organized crime. Jennifer Palma, Global News, Mission. The union representing correctional workers, or correctional officers rather, is calling two overdose deaths in the span of a week at the Mountain Institution in Agassiz alarming. The union blames the deaths on a needle exchange program recently put in place at the prison. Regional President John Randall believes the program is leading to deaths because inmates are using illicit drugs alone in their cells. He says there aren't enough health supports to complement the program, given the amount of drugs in Canadian prisons. Just letting them go back out in the community and saying, hey, community, it's your problem. And we all know with what the communities are dealing with right now as far as overdoses and, and crime, this doesn't seem like a viable solution. It, it seems counterproductive to everything we're doing. Randall says privacy regulations are also having an impact on correctional officers because they don't know which inmates are in the program. Controversy and debate over a series of videos produced by the BC Centre for Disease Control and posted on YouTube. As Paul Johnson reports, the videos are a how-to guide to safely using some illicit drugs. And when you're using your pill crusher, make sure that you crush the pill up. The style is similar to the myriad how-to videos anyone can find on YouTube. But this was intended to deliver potentially life-saving information to drug users in BC. So what I do is I just open the capsule. The videos feature well-known harm reduction and safe supply advocate Guy Felicella and give instructions on how to crush up pills for injection. At least five videos on the topic were produced and released by BC's Centre for Disease Control over the last couple of years and have hundreds of thousands of views on YouTube. And there's some specific risks that come with injecting tablet medications. The CDC's Dr. Alexis Crabtree says this kind of drug use can make users prone to infection and tissue damage and that there's evidence that when users get education, they change their habits and improve their safety. We really think that education is an important step for people in their, in their use to be able to take control and, and avoid some of these harms that we know can be lifelong. This is a potentially harm-creating uh, video. We showed the videos to SFU addiction psychology specialist Julian Summers. While he thinks one-on-one -on -one education for users isn't a bad idea, going big on YouTube, he says, invites unintended consequences. I think that's really not the message that we need to have foremost in terms of our priorities for keeping the public safe. We asked the mental health minister about the videos. Jennifer Whiteside stood in full support of them. Education doesn't uh, promote drug use. Education prevents harms. The beads go to powder. As for the videos, after we inquired about them, the CDC took this one out of public circulation for review. Paul Johnson, Global News. The VPD is releasing video of a suspect in an East Vancouver homicide that happened exactly one year ago. 
37-year-old Wen Gong was stabbed while walking near Renfrew Street and Gravely Street shortly before 10 o'clock on the night of November 2nd, 2022. He died later of his injuries in hospital. The motive for the attack is still unknown. And police say it's unclear whether this was a random or targeted incident. The video is not too clear. The image of the suspect isn't too clear. But we are hoping that this will jog the memory of anyone who may recognize this suspect. Um, this is the suspect walking on Grant Street near Lillooet and Windermere. And investigators do believe he was walking away from the crime scene. If there's anything about this video that helps you recognize the suspect or if you have any information about the killing, just contact Vancouver Police. BC landlords are speaking out, saying the system is weighted too heavily to protect tenants' rights. And as Angela Jung reports, they started a petition now signed by thousands of landlords demanding better protection from problem renters. Yes, saw the damage on the fridge. Like a horror film. Like, that's blood on the walls, right? And blood on the ground. But the reality Sashi Maharaj had to live through. She rented her mission townhome to a man who falsified his identity and then trashed the home when she tried to evict. I think the laws were written to protect against a bad landlord, but there's no safety to protect against a bad tenant. Maharaj says she's lost more than $30,000 from loss of income and repair costs. This was a full-time job, trying to put all this together. And like, you know, tabbed and everything. We had to go into the court system in order to get him out of our property. Dirty, dirty carpet. A judge sided with her, but she won't be seeing her money back. You can't get blood from a stone. Landlord's risk. A grassroots organization named Landlord Rights of BC is calling for changes to the residential tenancy laws. We are very afraid from these tenancy laws that we are afraid not to uh, give the rental unit. So that's the real issue. Government need to address it. So need to make it fair, equal, reasonable. No fire alarm. In a petition that's already collected no thousands of signatures, it asks to make changes including speeding up residential tenancy branch dispute decisions, restoring fixed-term tenancies, and bringing the allowable rent increases People have an inherent human right to housing that needs to be respected in our laws. Tenant advocates say renters' right to stable housing should trump landlords' investments. It has never been easier to evict a tenant and never have this many tenants been evicted. Uh, we, we're leading the country in this. The last thing we need to do is make it easier and faster to evict tenants when they're already losing their homes at a rate double the national average. The doors out everywhere. The petition is not supported by Landlord BC the main advocacy group for landlords in the province. Angela Jung, Global News. Well, the arrival of cold, wet fall weather has advocacy groups on the downtown east side warning that a lot of people are at risk and there are still far fewer shelter spaces than needed. Troy Charles has more. It's pretty full in here. Uh, the city. The Aboriginal Front Door Society is a use. safe haven for those on the downtown east side to store their personal belongings. When you're homeless, you have a hard time to keep your stuff safe, and this is just our way of trying to help. Their headquarters at Maine and Hastings filled to the brim with 500 storage bins, each one representing a person struggling with homelessness. With winter on the doorstep, Livingstone and his team have a new project. 
So we're taking out this, these walls here. Within the next two weeks, this space will be turned into a 30-bed extreme weather shelter. So where we're standing right now is going to be all full, full of beds. beds? Yes. And then uh, throughout the middle, we'll, we'll have chairs lined up. This comes as the Carnegie Housing Project is highlighting nine recommendations for urgent action this winter. At the very top of their list, more shelter space. They say today there are about 1,500 shelter beds in Vancouver, and there are roughly 3,100 people with no fixed address. According to Livingstone, 821 of those people identify as Indigenous, making up 33% of Vancouver's homeless population. For visits, for participants, jump up in the wintertime to around uh, 900 to 1,000 a day, whereas in comparison in the summer, we get around 200, 300 visits a day. Carnegie is calling on the province to create another 500 to 1,500 shelter beds. The city of Vancouver announced today two new winter shelters will be open every night between November and March, providing 67 additional beds. Now back at the Aboriginal Front Door Society, they say the need extends beyond just a safe place to sleep. So we give them, give them snacks, coffee. Uh, we'll, this year we'll have blankets and hopefully pillows for people. And usually it's just kind of a safe, safe, dry spot where people can come. Troy Charles, Global News. In the summer, there were complaints portable classrooms in Surrey were too hot with no air conditioning. And now, with the colder weather setting in, it's the opposite problem. Janet Brown reports on kids forced to bundle up in class. As kids file into some Surrey portable classrooms, some may not be taking off their coats and boots because the rooms don't have any heat. And it was cool in some of the classrooms, so the kids, of course, would dress appropriately. Their parents would send them with sweaters and coats. There was a delay hooking up the propane to the portables for the heat because it took time to move a large number of portables around to different school sites to accommodate the growing student population. This is a huge growth area. We're in Fleetwood, as you know, and we anticipate a lot of people moving in here, particularly as the SkyTrain development starts happening up at Fraser Highway. There were 22 portables with no heat, and 13 are still waiting for the propane to be hooked up. The Surrey School District has 375 portables right now and there could be 400 by next year. That's because there were roughly 3,000 students more in September compared to the year before. We do need a proper uh, classroom for them. I hope uh, our government will solve this problem uh, as soon as possible. Surrey teachers are frustrated, saying kids can't learn when they're sitting in a cold classroom. Children don't have the kinds of uh, capacities that adults have to um, kind of keep uh, think through how they're going to get through being cold or being hot. They will just act out. For me, myself, I have a kid and I want my kid, you know, to be comfortable. Oh, that's really sad because the last couple of days have been really, really cold. And um, my son has come to school with a jacket and a toque some days. If portables become unbearably cold, classes will be moved to the main school building. The teachers and the principal of the school will make sure the kids are moved inside into available space, whether that be library, gymnasium or other rooms that are available. All propane tanks are expected to be hooked up and pumping heat into the portables by the middle of November. Janet Brown, Global News.
Well, if you were upset, Taylor Swift wasn't coming to Vancouver, you can shake it off. How fans are reacting to news the singer will eventually bring her tour here to BC and how long they'll have to wait. That's next on the News Hour. Immediately, the store just thrived. After 60 years in business, how BC's Black Bond Books is turning a new chapter later on the news hour. Also tonight, a stunning discovery under layers of plaster. Why some think it might be the hidden works of Michelangelo. Right now, though, big news for Vancouver and Swifty Nation. Pop star Taylor Swift announcing her era's tour will be coming to Vancouver after all. Lisa Tebow is live outside BC Place. Lisa, huge news, not only for the fans, but the economic spin-offs for the city too. I mean, Sophie, she is a one-woman economy. This concert will be huge for the city's bars, restaurants, hotels. For those in tourism and hospitality, it might be hard not to be a Swifty about this announcement. Cool is an understatement. The world's biggest music star finally announcing she's coming to Vancouver. Are you ready for Everyone I know will go, definitely. I'm a little bit of a T-Swift fan, I have to say, uh, for sure. Fans can live out their wildest dreams when the Eras Tour takes over BC Place for three nights, December 6, 7 and 8 next year. Tickets go on sale next week. I saw her in Vegas. I'm like, you should, I wish I knew this. Whether a fan or not, it's hard to ignore the Taylor Swift effect. A market research firm predicts her current tour will add five billion US dollars to the worldwide economy, more than the GDP of 50 countries. It's any wonder the premier issued this plea in September. Please come to Vancouver, British Columbia. We'll treat you well. In Vancouver, tourism experts estimate her visit will support about 30,000 jobs. Swifties spend on average about $1,300 when they attend. And so when we think about it in that way, we know that it will be an economic uh, driver while she's here. And already accommodation is booking up. This website showing every single Vancouver hotel sold out. Right now in, in Vancouver, we've got about 13,000 hotel rooms. Once you count the, the, the Metro Vancouver region, we're looking at about 22,000 hotel rooms. About 150,000 people are expected to shake it off over three nights, meaning short-term rentals will have to fill the accommodation gaps. The tourism minister doesn't think the new regulations coming in next year will be a barrier. We believe we can find that balance. We can have homes for people and we can supply accommodation for visitors to join us. All right, Alyssa, you have to actually register for your chance at tickets, but for those who do luck out, do we know how much it'll set you back? You do have to register, Sophie. I myself have registered for the Sunday night, so if everybody could cross their fingers, that would be great. <laughs> we don't actually know yet how much these tickets will cost. They've, they've sold from anywhere between a few hundred dollars to up to $6,000 for front row seats. It is an expensive experience, but as we've seen, fans will pay it. Sophie? They sure will. And all the reviews are great. So I hope you get your tickets, Alyssa, and we'll book you the day off that day. <laughs> Alyssa Tebow reporting at BC that. Place. <laughs> Fingers crossed. All right, last week we learned the Santa Claus parade is cancelled, and today the reality that Vancouver's New Year's Eve festivities 
won't happen either. The last New Year's Eve fireworks and festival in Vancouver happened to ring in 2019. The Vancouver New Year's Eve Celebration Society says this year's cancellation is due to continued pandemic impacts on the cost of events and the challenge of getting sponsors. It says the decision has not been made lightly and it is still working to get New Year's Eve up and running in the future. Coming up, Canada's leaky bucket. No one had really bothered to look at how many immigrants were leaving the country. A new report shows Canada might not be the land of opportunity we all think it is. And with a shortage of Ozempic for diabetes and weight loss, the new drug that might take its place. Traffic is steady in both directions over here tonight at the Patello Bridge. Keep in mind, though, there are overnight lane closures for construction. Kermat Collision and Autoglass's newest location is in Vancouver on Southwest Marine Drive, conveniently located between Camby and Oak. Kermac, the most trusted name in collision repair for 50 years. Interest you in Global One at the Tello Bridge. If you get global news from Instagram or Facebook, that has changed due to Meta's decision to block Canadian news in response to new government legislation. Easy access to important breaking news and information in Canada and about your community is no longer available on Meta platforms. Go to globalnews.ca and sign up to get news alerts delivered directly to you and learn about how Bill C-18 affects your access to Canadian news. Canadians love to think that we offer a chance of a better life to immigrant families who move here, but the reality might be a lot different. A new report says for more and more new arrivals aren't happy here, and they're moving on. Kylie Stanton reports. So raise your right hand and so join in. A record number of new permanent residents were added to Canada's population last year, 431,645. But the big question is how many are here to stay? So-called onward migration, that's immigrants who come and then leave, has been creeping up silently for decades and it's gone pretty unnoticed. A new report titled The Leaky Bucket finds the number of immigrants leaving Canada surged between 2017 and 2019 and has yet to stabilize. We're talking about spikes of 30 to 40 percent above the normal uh, historical average of what you might expect. The reasons are not surprising. Everything from housing affordability and inflation to health care challenges and fair credential recognition. When they come to Canada, uh, if there are speed bumps along the way for foreign credential recognition, that's definitely presenting some challenges for those professionals to stay. I am pleased to introduce the International Credential Recognition Act. Late last month, the provincial government took steps to address this, introducing legislation that would require regulatory bodies to remove unfair barriers in 29 professions. From veterinarians and paramedics to social workers and engineers and teachers. But the rules won't go into effect until this summer, and advocates say it's only one piece of the puzzle. I think there's lots more uh, we can do, like for example, even um, creating that welcoming community for everyone. According to the Global Talent Competitive Index, Canada fell from ninth place in 2016 to 15th, scoring poorly on immigration retention. And experts say given the labour shortage right across the country, Canada could stand to benefit 
from a bit of humility. We need to actually be open to the idea that immigrants can contribute here. And if we can do that, then we can really make the most of those contributions. That's how Canada's prosperity has been built over centuries. And that's how our prosperity will be maintained in the future. But not if people don't stay. Kylie Stanton, Global News. After helping feed the community for more than three decades, a beloved Nanaimo institution is closing its doors. Two years ago, the Nanaimo Bakery changed its business model, operating as a social enterprise instead. But as Krista Dow reports, the struggle to pay the bills became too much. This is our great bakery space. For nearly three decades, the Nanaimo Bakery has been a fixture in the city. This place is, I would say, an institution to Nanaimo. It's been here forever. Serving up sweets and coffee with a side of community. It's a great place to be and, and hang out with family and friends. But now the beloved shop shutting its doors. We can't come here anymore. That is really upsetting. Two years ago, the bakery was bought by Island Crisis Care Society a nonprofit operating the business as a social enterprise venture, hiring people who were formerly homeless and providing them with job training. It's been challenging. Like, food business is a hard business to be in. Um, I think we had really high hopes um, at the beginning. Corfield says a blend of customers changing shopping behaviors, coupled with rising costs, among others, led to the failed business. The business that existed before we took over was evolving and was changing with, you know, the, the economic situation, plus, you know, the costs associated with staffing. So I know small businesses everywhere are struggling. Longtime patrons, though, still holding out hope the business can be saved. I hope, you know, maybe something can be done to help out uh, to, uh, to keep it going. I am really sad that the bakery is closing and these people have tried very hard to make it work. The society still owns the building and it's exploring opportunities to pivot to something else, working on fresh plans for the new year. We have to be okay with saying, you know, we tried something, it didn't work and we're going to try something different. The bakery's last day is November 24th. Krista Dow, Global News. Coming up, a new heavy hitter in weight loss. It's a very big problem for, you know, 2,000 plus of my patients. With Ozempic in short supply, a new drug that could be an even better option for many. Also tonight, a room hidden for centuries that might have been a hideout for Michelangelo. From protecting small business gems to outing big business bullies, if it matters to consumers, it matters to investigative reporter Andrua. Consumer Matters with Andrua on Global News. Traffic is steady over here in both directions tonight at the Massey Tunnel, but keep in mind, like the Patello Bridge, there is construction south of the tunnel on Highway 99. It's affecting traffic between Highway 17A and Ladner Trunk Road. Kermat Collision and Autoglass's newest location is in Vancouver on Southwest Marine Drive, conveniently located between Camby and Oak. Kermack, the most trusted name in collision repair for 50 years. Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. RCMP in Kelowna are releasing surveillance photos of a suspect in connection with a Rainbow Pride, Pride sidewalk that was vandalized over the weekend. The photos show a male wearing dark clothing, a mask and gloves, spray painting anti-Soji hate speech over the painted sidewalk outside the Educational Services Centre on Hollywood Road. 
Kelowna RCMP say this behavior is unacceptable, adding they'll investigate all reports of hate speech and crimes of this nature in an effort to identify anyone responsible. The hate speech has since been removed. Uncertainty around the supply of popular drug Ozempic is expected to last into the new year, but there may be some relief. A similar drug, Monjaro, is now on the market, and as Cassidy Moscone reports, it could prove to be an even better alternative. Since Ozempic took Hollywood by storm... Everybody looks so great. When I look around this room, I can't help but wonder, is Ozempic right for me? The wonder weight loss drug intended for use in diabetes patients has been in short supply. Last month, diabetics in Canada rejoiced. We have uh, Ozempic arriving um, routinely this week. We're starting to see it back in pharmacies. But that supply was short-lived. The drug's manufacturer warning doctors Ozempic will be tough to get into the new year. It's a very big problem for 2,000 plus of my patients and, and of of course, everybody else's patients and people living with type 2 diabetes. The good news, a new drug has entered the market, Monjaro. It's more powerful than Ozempic. It's not covered by Pharmacare yet. A lot of my clients rely on Pharmacare to soften the blow at the counter. It is a very good competitor based on the science. It's significantly cheaper too. For diabetics like Vancouver residents, Paul Lepage, it's a game changer. I called my normal pharmacy and asked them for some and they, they said they'd try to get some and they called me a couple days later and said, impossible. So after, in two weeks, I have nothing left. Health Canada has approved the drug strictly for use in diabetics, but similar to Ozempic, doctors have the power to prescribe it off-label for weight loss, raising the question, will Monjaro become the next health craze? Knowing that Monjaro is, lowers your A1C better and also is a better appetite suppressant, helps lose weight, it's been much more successful, is very, very exciting, especially for me as I've plateaued with Ozempic at this juncture. Cassidy Moscone, Global News. Still ahead, the incredible story of the Black Bond bookstore. I started to take my camera celebrating 60 years of independence and the literary celebrities she's met along the way later. And coming up in sports, the Lions prepare for the playoffs and a must-win game this weekend against Calgary. Take a moment to reflect. BC Remembers, live on Global BC and BC One, Saturday, November 11th from 10.30 a.m. Brought to you by the Royal Canadian Legion. We remember to honour Canada's veterans. From the stories breaking right now to all the day's issues. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Yeah. It was Guns N' Roses who sang November Rain. That's correct. And it certainly was appropriate for yesterday and last night, Christy. And we've got more on the way, which is exactly what we want. So I thought I'd actually look back a little bit at where we're doing, how we're doing in terms of the drought. Um, just quickly looking back at October, we are actually near average in terms of the amount of rainfall, the number of days of rain, and the temperature. So that's good. But that wasn't the case across all parts of the province. So looking at the drought, we've had significant improvement across the south coast. Vancouver Island now at a level zero. Uh, Metro Vancouver at a level one. And we're going to continue to get rainfall. So we're really hoping that that continues 
continues to be, uh, the situation continues to improve across the South Coast. But as you can see, we've got a number of areas still at a level four and a level five. So here's a look. We've got a series of storms that are going to move across the South Coast. We got one last night, but the majority of the rainfall tends to fall across the South Coast with this type of scenario. The good news is it's bringing in a mild flow. We had that Arctic air in place, but that's been pushed back. So we're hoping that more moisture will get into the ground, even though not as much moisture will shift in through the interior regions. Right now, we still have a risk of freezing rain in the central interior, uh, the Caribou region, but generally speaking, that's going to shift out overnight. Again, that mild flow continuing to push across the region. Tomorrow will be dry, but look at this next system that's on deck, definitely taking over the region, bringing periods of rain Friday night into our Saturday morning. But again, it's going to be mild. This brings rainfall through the valley bottoms. Not as much rain for the mountaintops, though. We are still expecting snow in the mountaintops, but at least in the valley bottoms and through a good part of the lower portion of the mountains, we'll see rainfall. Tomorrow, again, mostly dry. We'll see actual breaks in the clouds tomorrow, but we've got another heavy system that's going to move in Friday night. Very wet weather expected, remaining unsettled over the weekend. Reminder, we change our clocks on Sunday, everyone. We fall back an hour, but we lose... Sorry, we gain an hour of sleep. You know what I mean. We fall back with our clocks, but we gain an hour of sleep. A beautiful shot from Cole Harbor. Jay, thanks for sharing that one with us. Back to you two. All right, thanks, Christy. All right, you've likely seen the works of Renaissance master Michelangelo, but we are just learning about a set of previously unknown sketches that might belong to him too. They sit in a secret room beneath the Medici chapels in Florence. It was used as a coal bunker until the 50s. It was then sealed up before being rediscovered in 1975. And when workers removed the layers of plaster, they found magnificent sketches beneath. The jury's still out on whether these are indeed Michelangelo's, but people can decide for themselves with the room now opening to the public. Only 100 lucky people per week will get in, and they'll only get 15 minutes inside the room, which is just 10 meters long and 3 meters wide. Amazing. It would be nice to see that someday. Mm -hmm. It would be nice to see a win from the BC Lions this weekend. Squire's here with a look ahead to sports. Yes, I remember making sketches on my wall at home. As a kid. And getting in trouble for it. I wasn't quite as interested in the artistic impressions I was putting out there at that time. I recall getting You have other talents. Yes. <laughs> right on the wall. Uh, okay. So, yes, the Lions are going to talk about them. They should win that game against Calgary. I know people are going to say, oh, my God, you're jinxing them. Just like the Canucks should win tonight because the San Jose Sharks have no teeth. There's a worst team in the NHL. We'll talk about those two games and the Whitecaps who are playing on Sunday. You're just spitting facts. You're just spitting facts, Squire. Also tonight, from Margaret Thatcher to Magic Johnson, all the people who played a part in the page-turning history of this unusual independent BC bookstore. As we've discussed previously on the show, we don't believe in jinxes, and yes, the Canucks should win tonight. Oh, yes, they got to win this game. I mean, and if you think Rick Tockett wasn't happy, even though the Canucks beat Nashville on Halloween night 5-2, imagine how unhappy he would be if they lost tonight in San Jose. He might turn into Mike Keenan because the Sharks are the worst team in the NHL, and I mean they are really bad. 
Nine games, no wins, and they've only scored nine goals. Now, of course, the danger here is sooner or later, the Sharks have to win a game. They're not going to go 0-82. And they will win when some team gets too cocky and takes them too lightly. But Elias Pettersson believes a culture Rick Tockett wants in Vancouver should be good enough to guard against being overconfident against a team like the Sharks. Yeah, I think culture is uh, everything. Uh, something you can uh, rely on and get back to when things aren't going so well. So now we're kind of playing a little sloppy, a little scrambly. Um, so we got to get back to to the culture that we want to play and uh, yeah, play um, hard hockey. Well, the Bruins haven't lost in regulation yet this season. Despite no more Patrice Bergeron, they're still winning games. They're taking on the lease, but this is a nice goal by Austin Matthews. This is a good game. Third period, and these two rivals are 2-2 in the final frame. Well, it's playoff weekend at BC Place. Saturday, Lions in Calgary. Sunday, Whitecaps and LAFC. The Lions are the favorites in this game, and so they should be. They were twice the team Calgary was in the regular season. But, of course, the final regular season game for the Lions, Calgary looked like the better team. But you would think that one really should be just a one-off, and the Lions will get their revenge when the games really count on Saturday. Peyton Logan turns the corner on Bolacombo. Logan still going into the end zone. Touchdown, Calgary. The last impression the Lions left on their fans was not a good one. They were thrashed 41-16 by the Stampeders in their regular season finale two weeks ago. But the Lions insist to a man you will see a much different home team come Saturday. If we had won that game by 30 points or lost by 30 points, I don't think it's going to affect this game. So we'll obviously watch the film, learn from stuff, all that. But uh, no, this is uh, this is playoffs, and we got to make sure we're uh, you know looking forward to Saturday. That's not a depiction of who we are. You know, uh, it's just human nature for you to already know like you got a spot in the playoffs, and uh, they're playing for their playoff lives. You know, so it's a different it's a different mentality when you come in. You know, playoffs. Mentality is completely different in itself, and then you can tell by the way we practice out here today. You know, everybody's flying around, paying more attention to detail. Getting an extra week off since that game has given the Lions a chance to reset, but more importantly, get healthy. Vernon Adams Jr. wore a knee brace in that last game after tweaking it the week before in Hamilton, and will have his mobility back, which makes him much more dangerous. He tells me there's no restrictions, and it sure looks like it to me like there isn't. So, um, obviously, that's a that's a dynamic he can bring to the game. You know, if a play breaks down where he can go run for a first down or buy time to throw, that's a, a good skill to have. Adams Jr. is certainly a wild card for the Lions. When he's on, he is one of the best quarterbacks in the league, but he's still inconsistent and takes unnecessary risks that have led to multiple interception days. This will only be his second CFL playoff start, but with a home crowd behind him, he's eager to prove he's ready for primetime. We played in some big crowds before, and uh, like I said, just do a great job communicating, have fun, enjoy the process, you know what I'm saying? Enjoy every moment, a good play, bad play, move on to the next one, and um, get out your mind, get out my mind, and uh, have some fun. And he'll depend on the defense to make some big plays. The Stamps rammed the ball down the Lions' throats with a power run game two weeks ago, going for 213 yards on the ground. That can't happen again Saturday. 
I've seen a different focus this weekend, uh, everybody from the coaches to the players, and uh, everybody's just been a lot more detailed. I feel like uh, we'll, be, we'll be on the right foot Saturday and uh, come out you know, with a victory. The Vancouver Whitecaps have been painted into a corner because they couldn't deal with corners and free kicks in game one against LAFC on the weekend and lost 5-2. But what that set play disaster overshadowed was the fact the Whitecaps and LAFC were actually tied 2-2 at halftime. The Whitecaps were able to run with LAFC until the second half. So just add 45 more minutes of decent soccer and maybe Vancouver can win on Sunday. You know, when you think back to it, we don't remember them creating too much from from open play, but uh, obviously set pieces are a huge part of the game. So we don't, I don't think we have to do nothing drastic to um, you know to get better at it. We just need to kind of up the the aggression a little bit, and um, you know we all need to uh, fight for the ball and make sure you know second balls were were clearing them. So the Texas Rangers won the World Series last night, the first time they ever did that in their history. And that means now there are only five major league teams left that have never won a World Series. And of those five, the Mariners are the only one that have never actually been in a World Series. And just think of it, two years ago, Texas lost 102 games, and now they're the world champions. But between that 102 lost season and last night, they did spend about $800 million in contracts to improve things. So they spent their money wisely. Oh, yeah. they, I bet they don't care about those bills now. They got the championship. Thanks, Squire. Up next, the plot twists and protagonists of a well-known BC bookstore that's still bringing in readers after 60 years. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. Jordan Armstrong is standing by with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan? Chris, tonight we're hearing from the Courtney man injured on Saturday when he was dumped into a recycling truck. He was inside a bin sheltering with his dog in cold weather when the bin was turned upside down to be emptied. At 11, he'll tell us how he fell on hard times, who he'd like to thank for his rescue, and what he's hoping to do once he recovers. He'll also give us an update, of course, on how his dog is doing there. Also, highway overpass protesters are back, this time in Burnaby. What the government is doing about it at 11. Chris? All right, thanks very much, Jordan. Well, there was a time when bookstores seemed destined for a sad ending, with e-readers taking the place of hardcovers and paperbacks. But Vancouver's Black Bond Books has survived and thrived through it all, about to celebrate its 60th anniversary, and with plenty more chapters to go. Here's Jay Durant with This Is BC. One of my favorite authors. After 60 years in the book business, it's hard for Madeline Neal to narrow it down. And there's Wilbur Smith. Oh, what are my favorites? Her long list of treasured writers that started growing in 1963 with her first bookshop in Brandon, Manitoba. Immediately, the store just thrived under Madeline. A move to BC in the 1970s is when the family business began to take off. Just like mom, books became Kathy's career after first getting her start with the teenage dream job. I disliked babysitting and I loved the bookstore. So uh, at 13, my mom uh, let me come and actually work at the bookstore. She paid me 25 cents an hour. I started to take my camera this is a trip through time. Memories of meeting so many celebrities and famous figures at book signings. Margaret Thatcher. 
She was very rigid. Leslie Nelson was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and there's Betty White. That was in 1997. Larry King. She was quite enamored with him. Yes. There's magic. magic. Did you see Magic Johnson? I was looking it up like this. Six decades and still going strong with seven stores. They've survived big box retailers, e-readers and iPhones. Now a third generation to carry on the family legacy. I can't be more proud. It's it's a, a, quite a feat, you know, 60 years in, in any industry, but in books especially. Well, I'm thunderstruck that it's lasted this long. At 94, Madeline still helps out by giving reviews on new releases. And I give it either a, a 2 or a 9 or 11. <laughs> High scores usually reserved for those authors that will always be at the top of her list. There you go. John Grisham, one of my favorite authors. Jay Durant, Global News. And don't forget to email your story ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. We were discussing all the songs that have rain in it earlier, and uh, we're going to get plenty of it. What, what did we say? We said The Cult. We said Millie Vanilli. Um, Rihanna. Umbrella. Purple Rain. Prince. Purple Rain, yeah. Prince. Yep, you go got them school, all. The Beatles had a song called Rain. And we're going to be singing along to all those tunes for the next couple of days, <laughs> Christy. Not too bad tomorrow, but by tomorrow evening, yes, it'll be back again. All right. Thanks very much. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night. Good night, Oh, yeah. Was that Engelbert Humperdinck? Who was that?